Do you want to talk about books? Yeah. Hello, and welcome to A Well-Read Life. This is a place to share stories about good books and the reading life. I'm your host, Beth Jamison. Join me as I meander through my reading journey and discover the books that make up a well-read life. Man, my friends, said General Lowenhelm, is frail and foolish. We have all of us been told that grace is to be found in the universe. But in our human foolishness and short-sightedness, we imagine divine grace to be finite. For this reason, we tremble. We tremble before making our choice in life, and after having made it again tremble, in fear of having chosen wrong. But the moment comes when our eyes are opened, and we see and realize that grace is infinite. Grace, my friends, demands nothing of us but that we shall await it with confidence and acknowledge it in gratitude. Grace, brothers, makes no conditions and singles out none of us in particular. Grace takes us all to its bosom and proclaims general amnesty. See, that which we have chosen is given us, and that which we have refused is also and at the same time granted us. I, that which we have rejected is poured upon us abundantly. For mercy and truth have met together, and righteousness and bliss have kissed one another. Babette's Feast by Isaac Dennison There's a scene in Out of Africa, the movie about Isaac Dennison's life, when Karen Blixen, Isaac Dennison was her pen name, portrayed by Meryl Streep, entertains two guests at dinner by telling them a story. This particular scene has captivated me since I first watched it. What is it about this scene that makes it so mesmerizing? Well, the way it shows the power of story to enchant and captivate us for one, but also how it portrays the use of one's gifts. In Sarah Clarkson's book, Caught Up in a Story, she describes one such gift, the tradition of a Shanachie, a traveling storyteller of folk tales. She tells in her book how whole villages might gather to listen to the Shanachie. I'll read a short portion of the description. A Shanachie was honored because he was a keeper of story. His tales reminded his listeners where they had come from, what they might become. No child could leave the darling fireside of a night with a Shanachie without a stirred, yearning heart, an imagination crammed with dreams of the great deeds that might be done, the beauty made, the love found. Shanachies kept the stories that formed the dreams of whole generations. I cannot read today's story, Babette's Feast, without thinking of this quote. Keeper and creator of stories, Isaac Dennison used her gift well. I first read Babette's Feast on a flight to London over a decade ago. It has taken me nearly that long to appreciate the story. On that particular summer day, when I picked up my copy of Babette's Feast, the plane was filled with holiday travelers, and my secondhand copy of her few short stories was quite possibly the only reading material I had packed in my carry-on that day. I tried my best to concentrate with all the hum and bustle on the plane and started to read. The short story was praised in my Christian circles for its depiction of grace, and I expected great things from it. But after I finished the reading, I sat in my seat deflated. It wasn't what I expected. 
I tucked the book back in my carry-on, more interested in the stories of my fellow travelers than mulling over the little masterpiece I had so carelessly dismissed. Perhaps it wasn't the right time, or perhaps I was too distracted to appreciate it. But thankfully, there are second chances in life, especially with books, which you are no doubt used to me sharing here. If not, I would have missed out on one of my favorite stories because of my first impression. In preparation for this episode, I've read the story twice, and before the year's end, I will probably read it a third time. Each time I read it, I feel as though I'm under the spell of story, as though I'm sitting at the feet of Scheherazade as she weaves one of her tales. And it's hard for me to imagine that Babette's Feast, a story that so captivates me now, had rather humble beginnings, and ones which were more than a little mercenary. Isaac Dennison was born Karen Dennison in 1885. She is probably best known for Out of Africa, a memoir of her years in Kenya during the early 1900s. But she also wrote many short stories during her life. We owe this wonderful tale to a bet she made with a friend. The bet was to see if she could get a story accepted into the Saturday Evening Post, which had the added benefit of providing Dennison with some much-needed income. Her friend, advising her on how to write for the American market, told her to write about food because Americans are obsessed with food. Obsessed by food or not, Babette's feast was rejected by the Saturday Evening Post, and then Good Housekeeping, before it was finally accepted by the Ladies' Home Journal and published in 1950. The story opens with a description of a small Norwegian town called Berlevag. It is a small fishing village, and there a strict Protestant sect was founded. The founder of the sect is an eminent man of character and integrity, referred to as the dean. He is venerated by his flock of parishioners. Later in life, the dean has two daughters, Martine and Philippa. The young women are models of charitable giving, kindness, and goodness. They are like angels who walk the earth. They are gifted women. Philippa has an especially beautiful singing voice, which will play an important part later in the story. They are also extraordinarily beautiful and entirely free from vanity. One naturally expects them to make quick marriages while they are young, but because of their upbringing, which places a higher emphasis on heavenly matters than earthly, and how indispensable they are to their father, the sisters never marry. That isn't to say, though, that opportunities for marriage and a fleeting offer of love are not afforded to each. There are two men in the story who love the sisters. They are General Lohenhelm, a young, world-weary, and vain soldier, and Monsieur Papin, a famous opera singer. General Lohenhelm is the first suitor. He comes to Berlevog to be rehabilitated by his wealthy aunt, an admirer of the dean's teaching. When he arrives in the town, he is on a quick path to moral ruin. He meets Martine in the street one day and is captivated by her beauty. He begins to frequent the dean's home, but never tells Martine that he loves her. After a brief stay in Berlevog, he returns to his regiment, changed by his time in the little fishing village, a little more aware of the vanity which has consumed his life thus far. Next is Monsieur Pepin, the famous opera singer who comes to Berlevog for rest. He is nearing middle age and only just realizing that what he has built in this life, his notoriety and fame, will wane as he ages. In the midst of this crisis, he wanders into the dean's church one day and hears the voice of Philippa singing beautifully amidst the other voices in the congregation. With the dean's permission, he begins to give Philippa voice lessons and train her to be his protege 
He believes that she will be the greatest voice to ever grace the operatic stage. In a way, helping her to achieve this elusive fame is his vain attempt to achieve immortality. But one day, Philippa abruptly breaks off the lesson. By her own choosing, it is important to note. And Monsieur Pepin, a little heartbroken, returns to Paris. It is sad that for all the goodness of the dean's daughters and his congregation, there is still something which they lack, joy. They are so consumed with heavenly thoughts that they have missed the good gifts that God has given them in this life. These earthly gifts are only a foretaste of what is to come true, but by not receiving them, they are severing in their mind what God has called good in this life, the beauty he has created, the ability for romantic love, the happy consumption of delicious food. For all the good of this small sect, and they do have good things that they do, they lack an understanding of grace. And so it would continue, if not for Babette, the cook and servant, who comes to the sister's home. One stormy night, many years later, a half-dead woman arrives at the sister's doorstep. The dean passed away many years prior. She holds a letter of introduction from Monsieur Papin. The woman's name is Babette, and she becomes the servant of the two sisters. At first, Martine and Philippa are reluctant to take Babette on worrying that it will be seen as a luxury by their father's congregation and without the funds to pay her because of their own modest means. But Babette assures the sisters that she will work for board only and soon proves herself to be indispensable to them. Through her acts of service to the sisters, they are free to practice their gifts of charitable giving to the sick and poor. For some time, the sisters and Babette live comfortably in their home. One day, Babette tells the sisters that she has won a lottery of 10,000 francs. Martine and Philippa are convinced that this means that Babette will leave now that she has come into a small fortune. And they are left to worry what will become of their work when she leaves. As the sisters sit with their rumination and fear, Babette makes a strange request. The anniversary of the dean's birthday is coming up, and she would like to prepare a feast for the congregation. The feast could not come at a more perfect time. The congregation are in the throes of dissension and fault-finding with one another. Old wounds have begun to resurface with surprising vehemence, and this is the setting for the feast. But in spite of the discord, the feast is grand and extravagant, magnified all the more so by the austerity of the small community. Those who are used to fish and ale soup are treated to course after course of the best wines, champagne, decadent dishes by the greatest culinary genius of the age for that is Babette's secret. She was once a famous chef in Paris. It is as if the congregation are given a foretaste of heaven through this meal and are experiencing the long-awaited wedding supper of the Lamb on earth. Here is a beautiful quote from After the Feast. Of what happened later in the evening, nothing definite can there be stated. None of the guests later on had any clear remembrance of it. They only knew that the rooms had been filled with a heavenly light, as if a number of small halos had blended into one glorious radiance. Taciturn old people received the gift of tongues. Ears that for years had been almost deaf were opened to it. Time itself had merged into eternity. Long after midnight, the windows of the house shone like gold, and golden song flowed out into the winter air. The sisters are unaware of Babette's illustrious reputation or the glory of her former life, nor are they aware that she has spent the entirety of her fortune 
on this feast for them. It is an unbounded gift of grace. The story gives a picture of the tension between grace and works beautifully. But even with that, there is so much more to it. Think of it as having a bit of the book of James written in fairy tale form. Grace and works must go together. Both Monsieur Pepin and General Lowenhelm are unsatisfied with what they have achieved in life. Their lack drives them to Berlevog. Later in life, in a letter from Monsieur Pepin to Philippa, he acknowledges that she may have chosen the better path in life. He says to her in the letter, What is fame? What is glory? The grave awaits us all. And the general, as he readies himself for the feast, notes the vanity of life. This is after many great achievements in the intervening years. Men like the general and Monsieur Pepin must see the folly of their life of self and gluttony and vanity. But likewise, the strict puritanical sect must see that it is not good on its own merit and is in need of joy and appreciation of beauty and a glorying in God's creation. It is Babette, the great artist, who through her gift offers a marriage between the two. Everything that Babette touches is for the good of others. Her gift of serving makes a way for the sisters to continue their charitable work, and her magnificent gift of the gourmand makes a way for the sisters and the congregation of the dean to experience true grace. At the feast, General Lowenhelm makes a speech about grace. It is the quote I read at the beginning of the episode. Because of the feast prepared by Babette, the general's mouth is open to speak those words of grace over the small community. There is so much to unpack from this short story that I feel as though I could talk about it for hours. But two words keep coming to mind, which I will leave you with. Grace and gifts. You've already heard the beautiful summation of grace when I quoted the speech by General Lowenhelm, and then heard how it is played out in the magnificent feast which Babette prepares. So I want to close now with what the story has to illuminate to us about our gifts. I won't share the end of the story, which gives me chills for what it has to say about our God-given gifts and talents in this world, because I don't want to spoil it for you. But I will leave you with this quote from Monsieur Papin's letter of introduction for Babette. After telling Philippa that the grave awaits us all, he tells her this. As I write this, I feel that the grave is not the end. In paradise, I shall hear your voice again. There you will sing without fears or scruples, as God meant you to sing. There you will be the great artist that God meant you to be. Ah, how you will enchant the angels. The story in itself is a gift, but it is also a call to use our gifts as Babette does with profligacy for the joy, betterment, and blessings of others. Even the sisters use their gifts of serving the poor and sick in this way. It is also a validation that the gifts we are given have purpose, and a validation, too, of the beauty God has given us in this world, and also a hint of what is to come which will be even more glorious. Not bad for a story which was originally written to make money, which only shows the mark of a great artist. Even in her efforts for monetary gain, Isaac Dennison has given her best. Read Babette's Feast for Isaac Dennison's masterful storytelling, Read it if you have ever struggled to understand grace and works. The picture it presents is not easily forgotten and is blessedly free from being trite. Read it for its description of our gifts as a holy calling used to bless, serve, and bring beauty into this world. They are a way to honor the one who has given them to us. 
Read it for a glimpse of the wedding supper of the Lamb, and know that you are welcome to come and sup, too. And if you read Babette's Feast and enjoy it, I would suggest watching the 1987 movie. And if you've enjoyed today's episode and the podcast in general, would you consider leaving a rating or a review? It helps more people hear about the podcast. I've also included an affiliate link for Babette's Feast with bookshop.org in the show notes. Well, that's all for this week. I'll be back next Tuesday with a sneak peek of what's to come on the podcast in September. Until next time.